If you will turn to the back of your Bibles where there's maps, I need you to go where your maps are at. And find, find a map that has uh, uh, Israel in the time of the settling of the tribes. If you have that, in it, way in the back of the Bible, it is, uh, we need to do this because you'll have an idea where David and Goliath's battle took place. Now, if you look, if you look at that map and you will see the Dead Sea, if you will go to the top of the Dead Sea and over to the west a little bit, you'll see Jerusalem. You see Jerusalem there? And go down just a, just, I don't, it all depends on how big your map is, but go down a little bit and you'll see Bethlehem. You'll see Bethlehem. And from Bethlehem, about 20 miles west, southwest of Bethlehem. It is kind of like, if you, if you see Bethlehem, if you keep on going to the left, a little west, southwest, you keep on going, you'll find Gath, and you'll find Bethlehem. One's here, and one's here. And if you go down just a little closer to, to Gath, well, not much more, about, about 15 miles from Gath, about 20 miles from Bethlehem is where this battle took place. It's important because uh, there is somebody that comes from Bethlehem besides Jesus, and it's a guy by the name of David. So David is close to home. He's out there taking care of sheep. And uh, he said, well, I'm going to go see my brothers who are close by, and I'm going to see how they're doing against the Philistines. And, uh, well, in the next five weeks, we will learn about David and Goliath. This is not a Sunday school lesson for children. This is an adult, an adult lesson about facing giants. We all have giants to face, don't we? Uh, so, with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. On one side is the army of the Philistines toward Gath. On the other side toward Bethlehem facing the Philistines is the army of Israel under, under King Saul. And they're about ready to be engaged in battle. So let's pick up from chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. We'll read, the 11, we'll read 11 verses of this today. Over the next five weeks, we'll cover this entire chapter and find out the whole story of David and Goliath. Chapter, one, uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Sokol, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Sokol and Azekah and Ephes Damim. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on, on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose sight was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was clothed with scale armor which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves, or that's shin guards, on his legs, and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. 
His shield carrier also, uh, his shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that, that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, we need to be people of strength and courage. Because, Father, there are still giants today. Lord, give us ears to hear what your word has for us this day. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. December the 16th, 1944, through January the 25th of 1945. Some of you were alive back then. Some of you were getting close. Some of you don't even think that people were, are alive today that lived back then. <laughs> but some of us were some of us were alive back then. But one of the great battles of World War II took place between December 16th of 44 through January 25th of 45. It was the Battle of the Bulge. And it took place in a in Bastogne, Belgium. And there at Bastogne, Belgium, the 101st Airborne Division under the command of General Anthony McAuliffe they were greatly outnumbered and under continuous attack and bombardment by German forces. General McAuliffe was presented an ultimatum of immediate surrender of American forces in that city. And McAuliffe's one-word response will forever be remembered in the annals of military history. You know what that one word was? Nuts. Just plain nuts. Like General McAuliffe, we oftentimes face a bombardment of attacks from our enemy. The difference being this, were we to surrender, it would not only diminish our personal Christian character, but it would also negatively affect the very kingdom to which we belong. In essence, ours is not a physical defeat, but a mental and spiritual defeat that would put a blight on Christianity and God's church. We are God's people, God's church, God's ambassadors. So then, my friends, what are we to do when challenged by a giant problem? Now, I know that if, if you've been alive more than a few days, you, you will face, you've already faced a giant problem. If you're a young, young youngster, that problem might be, I need more milk. But if you're an oldster, that problem might be, I need more faith, more energy, more determination. I like what Paul says when he's talking to a group of people that kind of cower back. He says, in the King James vernacular, he says, quit ye like men. 
Act like a man. Stand firm. But we are always so willingly, seems like at times, to surrender. We will take the ultimatum that is given us and we will cower back. Our heads hung down, shoulders slumped, like with, with puppy dogs. When we face giants, we become fearful. So what are we to do when challenged by a giant problem? Do we allow it to continue to rear its ugly head and defy the people of God? Do we cower back and let the giant, whatever that giant might be, have its way? Or do we attempt to find some way to evade the giant, whatever that giant may be, altogether? I want to get away from the giant. I don't want to fight him or it or whatever that might be. I don't want to fight it. It scares me. It might hurt me. It might kill me. At this, let's go to our text in 1 Samuel 17. And, and here we see how a young man named David handled a challenge from a giant of a problem. Look at verse 1. I want to begin by quoting from a commentary on this text by a, a well-known conservative uh, commentary called Kyle and Dalich. And this, this is what they say. A, a powerful giant named Goliath came forward from the ranks of the Philistines and scornfully challenged the Israelites to produce a man who would decide the war by a single combat with him. There's no need for both armies to meet together, says Goliath. Let's just have a one-on-one -on -one battle. You against me. Now, folks, this is very cut and dry, isn't it? A one-on-one -on -one fight between a nine-foot, nine-inch Philistine giant. Do you know how tall that is? That is three inches shy of putting your head up against the rim of a basketball uh, uh, goal. I mean, here's a guy that you'd want on your team because all he's got to do is just stand there and do this. He don't have to jump at all. And, and almost 10 foot tall, his arm probably goes at least to 13 feet or something. I mean, this guy is huge. I wouldn't have any idea how much that would, he would weigh, but I would, uh, I would hate to have to carry him on my back. A nine foot, nine inch Philistine giant, and he is challenged some man from the Israel army. Now, the average man, we might say, might be somewhere between five foot six, a small side, to six foot tall. What in the world would you think of a nine foot, nine inch guy taking on a man who's five nine, five ten? That would be like me putting on the gloves against Tyson Fury. If you know who he is. 270 pounds, 6 foot, 9 inches tall. Professional boxer. Never, never, never lost a fight. Defeated everybody he's fought. 
The guy's huge. It would be like me fighting him. Or even bigger than that. This guy's nine foot nine. Now, those are really good odds, aren't they? Everyone in Israel's army, everyone in Israel's army looking at this, at, at, at this, this guy, and every one of them, as they look at Goliath, every one of them are suffering from phobia. Let me ask you, what are you facing today that has challenged you, and you look at the situation and you say to yourself, I'm nothing but a bug in a world of insect-eating mammals. Because that's how Israel felt. We feel like bugs before a 10-foot, almost 10-foot tall guy. How do we even begin to think of how we are to handle the issue? The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, listen to these words. He says, stand firm. Stand firm. Whatever your foe is out there, whatever that giant is that you have to face today or tomorrow or next week or the, maybe next year or this whole year coming up, I don't know. Whatever that giant is that you need to face. Maybe it's finding a new pastor. We can't find one. There's a giant out there and the giant is we don't know who this guy is. We don't know where God is at. We have a giant of a problem, don't we? Paul says, stand firm. Take up the shield of faith. Extinguish the arrows of the evil one. You know, that's easy to write, easy to say, but hard to do when you face an enemy that is a giant. And the enemy that you and I face, Satan, is a giant of a person. He's not flesh and blood. He is spiritual evil personified. Lucifer is his name. And Jesus says he seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus tells Peter that this enemy that you and I have to face, this giant called Satan, this enemy have to face, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And then Peter writing to the church, because he's experienced Satan firsthand, Peter writes to the church and he says, listen, this, this giant of an enemy named Satan is going about looking for someone to devour. You and I face a giant. Years ago, I was, uh, oh my goodness, back in the 80s, I was having prayer, and uh, it just became very still in that room. I was by myself, very, very still. And I felt this very oppressive force around me. 
and something just happened. I just felt like this pressure on my shoulder, like a hand that just grabbed, grabbed me right here. I tell you what, I think I turned. <laughs> I think my blood just, well, let me just put it this way. Apoplectic shock took place in my system. There's a real enemy out there. There's a real enemy out there. In this chapter from the book of Philippians, Paul tells us that God has given his armor and his protection in order that we may stand and face and defeat those giants that come against us. And and listen to this. The very same promise is given to King Saul and to Israel. And you will find that, by the way, in 1 Samuel chapter 12. So let me just pause here and, and ask, and, and let's, let's just ask ourselves, why has, why has it come to a place where Israel is at war with the Philistines in the first place? Why, why are these two people at each other? You ever stop to think that, how did chapter 17 get there? What led up, what led up to Israel and the Philistines coming to war with each other? Did Israel shoot their balloon out of the air and they got mad? Is it possible that this battle with the Philistines in chapter 17 might have never occurred had King Saul in his arrogance and rashness had not acted so foolishly and unrepentantly? You see, folks, there's a reason for chapter 17 the whole chapter is about one, one fight between David and Goliath. The whole chapter is dedicated to that. All we think about when we hear of David and Goliath is, here's this tall guy, and here's this little young guy with, with a sling and a, a stone, or five stones. That's our story. But if you look at it, if you look at the entirety of chapter 17, do you see how many verses are there? There are 58 verses. 58 verses. And it's all about one fight between one young man and one warrior giant named Goliath. So why shouldn't we talk about this? But is it possible that this should have never happened to begin with? We will see that there are two instances where Saul brought this trouble upon both himself and Israel. King Saul did this. Sometimes we make decisions and we bring trouble upon ourselves because we make foolish decisions. First, we find that Saul took matters into his own hands and made himself to be, and, and you'll find that, by the way, in, 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 chapter, in chapter 13, uh, he took upon himself to be both prophet and priest. He was already king, but he made himself to be prophet and priest. Look at chapter 13, if you would. Chapter 13, look at verses 8 and 9. Chapter 13, verses 8 and 9. Give me a minute to get there. 
Okay, it says 13, 8, 1 Samuel. Now he waited, that's Saul waited seven days according to the point of time set by Samuel. Remember, Samuel is, is, is God's prophet, isn't he? A point of time set by Samuel. So, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring to me, listen to this, bring to me, the burnt offering and the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. I also want you to look at verse 12 now. In verse 8 and 9, Saul takes it upon himself to become the priest who is going to offer the sacrifice. You see this? Look at verse 12. Therefore, he's explaining this to Samuel, he says, therefore, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me and Gilgal, and I, listen, and I have not asked a favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. What he's saying is this, I was the priest and I offered, I, first of all, I'm the king. Second of all, I'm the, I began, I forced myself to be the priest and I offered the burnt offering offering. And third, I became the prophet because I invoked God's blessing. I am king, I am priest, and I am prophet. That is a lot of pride and arrogance, folks. I am the prophet, priest, and king. You know, there's only one person in all the Bible that has the title of prophet, priest, and king. You know who that is? Jesus Christ. Saul put himself in place of being, of being the prophet, priest, and king. And nobody is able to be that except Jesus himself. But he made himself to be that. He thought himself to be prophet and that he might administer blessings. He thought himself to be a priest and that he was given authority to offer sacrifice. And he thought that this was his new self-appointed privilege in that he was, by the way, the king. And since he was king, that he stood above any need to repent of his sin. I don't need to repent of this. I'm the king. I can do what. I will please because I run this place. Years ago, I was, I mean, I was a young, 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 young preacher, young preacher, uh, still in my 20s. I went to preach at a church, uh, a little country church one time. And, uh, and they were looking for a pastor. I was just, just filling the pulpit, just filling the pulpit. And I preached that Sunday. And they says, and, and one of the deacons walked up to me. He says, he says Pastor, would, would you come back next week? We'd like to see. Would you mind coming back? And would you be willing to preach in view of a call? Uh, we really enjoyed you. And I says, I'd be glad to come back next week. So I came back, and, and uh, I, I was in college then. I came back, and, and uh, the next week... And, you know, it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful church. Everything was just fine and dandy. I walked in the next week, and it was like somebody just took the air out of that church. I mean, I walked in, it was all dark. There was not even a light on. Not even a light was on. The cover was still on the piano. I said, what in the world is going on? Are they having church today? 
And people are just sitting there, just still, like hardly even breathing. And finally, this one guy walks in. And he turns on the lights. And he takes the cover off the piano. And he gets things ready for church. There's a young man and woman sitting in front of me, and I leaned over to them. I says, who is that guy? They says, you don't know who he is? And I says, no, I sure don't. You ready? He owns and operates this church. I said, it's time for me to leave. After the service is over, he says, he says you know, he says, he says, since the deacon said that they'd like for you to preach in view of a call, he says, uh, I've already voted, and uh, you won't be our pastor. There are some people that think that they are prophet and priest and king. The second error is found in 1 Samuel 14, 24-30. In this account, Israel is engaged in battle, chapter 14. They're, they're already engaged in battle with the Philistines. This is three chapters before chapter 17. They're already engaged in battle with the Philistines. And Saul, King Saul, then foolishly commands that no one, nobody in his army is allowed to eat. <laughs> now, you know, I spent a lot of years in the military, <laughs> There's one thing you got to know about military men who are in combat. Uh, if, if you want to win, you got to eat. <laughs> you just got to have food. But he says, no one is to eat while engaged in this battle. However, his son, Jonathan, remember Jonathan, David and Jonathan, they really had, they, they were friends. David and Jonathan, uh, Jonathan ate of some honey, strengthened himself, and reengaged in the warfare against the Philistines. Now, church... Please pay attention, just as Jonathan ate and was strengthened. By the way, he ate disobeying what his father wanted him to do. But this is for the church now. As Jonathan ate and was strengthened for battle against the enemy, we the church need to follow in his example. Let me ask you this. What is the food, what, church, what is the food that we are to eat if we are desired to be fit for warfare against our enemy, what are we to eat? Is it not the Word of God? Listen to these words from our Lord. He says, Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That God's Word is the sustenance that we need. It is our strength that we need in order that as we partake of the Word of God, we are able then to meet the enemy who is a giant. But the Word of God is bigger. Because the Word of God is on which the church lives. Matthew Henry writes, Quote, as we may have bread and yet not be nourished, 
if God deny his blessing. For though bread is the staff of life, it is God's blessing that is the staff of bread. So we may want bread and yet be nourished some other way. Therefore, Christ need not turn stones into bread, but trust God to keep him alive. Psalm 119, 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The sustenance of the church is the word of God. And, and folks, the shame of it is this, is that many of us, I'm not yuns, maybe not this church, but every other church in the world, but not this one. How often do we have the Word of God sitting in our home, sitting on a bookshelf, sitting on a table, and the only time it may even possibly be opened is if we would dare bring it to church. This is your staff of life. This is the sustenance you need to defeat the enemy. When Jesus encountered Satan in the wilderness, what did he use? The Word of God. He didn't go fisticuffs with him. He just used the Word of God. Satan was defeated by Jesus using the Word of God. Folks, Satan will be defeated in your life by using the Word of God. You've got to know it. You've got to know it. Just as a, a man in, 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 in the infantry will keep that weapon of his absolutely, absolutely clean to the nth degree because that, that gun keeps him alive. That gun is that which stands between him and the enemy. It, was what, it is what keeps him alive. It must be clean. It must be possessed. It must be kept. It becomes a part of him. This is your weapon. Keep it. Possess it. Let it be a part of you. Every day, every day your eyes should be somewhere in here. Because if your eyes are in here, that's where your heart will be. So let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14, if you would. 1 Samuel chapter 14. I want to show you this Paul's or Saul's problem here. In chapter 14, if you look at verses 29 and 30, after Jonathan ate that honey, and he did so by not paying attention to what his father said, Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. Do you see that? My father has troubled the land. See now how my eyes have been brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if only the people had eaten freely today of the spoil from their, of their enemies, which they found. For now the slaughter among the Philistines has not been great. What Jonathan is saying is that if the troops would have eaten something, we could have got rid of all those Philistines. But we let him get away. When you let the enemy get away, guess what? They come back. And you know when they came back? In chapter 17. And not only did they come back, they brought somebody with them. This guy from Gath named Goliath. 
if Saul would have not acted so arrogantly in the first place and so foolishly in the second place and unrepentantly, if I can say this, in the third place, if Saul had been normal, they could have wiped out the Philistines and chapter 17 never would have happened. But he didn't do that. There would have been a great slaughter of the Philistines and, and Israel's army has been able to strengthen themselves by eating some food. But just as you and I will be strengthened for warfare against our enemy if we were more fed the infallible and fillable word of God. And church, listen to this. We are engaged in battle with giants every day. And, and our, our weapon is, you know what the weapon is? Ephesians 6, 17 the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, according to Paul. That's our weapon. It is that Word by which the church is fed, strengthened, and illumined. Let us not be like Saul and proclaim fasting from that which strengthens us for battle. We can fast, but never fast from that which strengthens us for battle. This is our strength. But let's all the, all the more feast on, the, on His Word, its promises, its precepts, and its principles. Now, we're going to close with this. I want to look at Goliath's challenge for just a, a couple of minutes here. In verse 8 of chapter 17, it says that he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you, the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Simply translated. Let me translate that for you. This is what Goliath is saying. I represent the power and the might of the Philistines. And you are merely representing yourselves as servants of Saul, and you tend to his needs. If there is one of you who is willing to come against me, send him and let the two of us decide the issue. Oh, church, do you hear the calling to battle from Satan's emissaries? They're big, strong, powerful. Our warfare, friends, is not against flesh and blood. And like the spies who brought a report back from the spying out the promised land that God has given them, they say, we, can, uh, we, we can't go up against the people because they are stronger than we are. To ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. Numbers 14, 31, and 33. Friend, what giant... What giant is challenging you today? Might that giant be the world that seeks to conform you to its ways and methods? But the Word of God tells us, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Is your enemy the flesh that causes you to open your eyes and heart to a life filled with lust and greed? But again, the Word of God says, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that, listen, he says, so that you may not do the things that you please. We have a giant called the Word. We have a giant called the flesh. But we've got a super giant called the devil who seeks to devour, destroy, disrupt, and defeat you. But the Word of God says, listen to this. Listen to what the Word of God says. 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to these words of the psalmist who said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, listen, therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling tide, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So what giant are you facing today? God is your strength. The word of God is your sword. We are so blessed to know that no weapon that the enemy forms against us will prosper. We should not cower back. We will not step back. We will, we will set our feet firmly into the ground. We will stand our ground because we are the church, and we call ourselves the church triumphant. But folks, the church cannot be triumphant unless the church be militant. We will fight our enemy. Our enemy is not people. Our enemy is not issues. Our enemy is not some agenda our enemy is not politics or politicians. Our enemy is not the government. Our enemy is the world and the flesh and the devil. They stand against us. They are the three giants that we must face in our life. And we are to take our sling and we are to slay the giant. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day, Lord. You have blessed us. Father, you have strengthened us. Your word, Lord, gives strength to us. You train us, Father, to be your followers. Lord, you are our leader. You are the owner and operator of this church, of all the church, your people everywhere in this world who know that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you that we stand in the army of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen. Now, folks, let me ask you this. Whose army are you in? You can't say, I'm in the Lord's army unless you know the Lord. Just that simple. You got to know him. And how can you know him? You got you to know this, that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. He came in the flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death on the cross. He was buried, and he rose again on the third day. He ascended up to glory. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And guess what, folks? He's coming back. He's coming back. He'll, be, he'll not be riding in a donkey like he did the first time, but he'll, coming, he'll be coming in a white charger. He'll be coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you know Jesus? You know Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. If you don't, folks, what a, what a day to say, the, the Spirit of God opened my heart up to believe. And I, I, I believe and I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sin. And Jesus, be my Savior today.